is I want to talk about empathy. People don't practice basic empathy enough. Have you have you noticed that? I mean, like right now it's rhetorical, but I I, I do want to hear your thoughts in this in a second. Right. <laughs> um, I, I I don't mean when I say empathy, I don't mean taking the extra mile and really going out of your way to be this amazing, generous, noble person. Like, no, I want to walk on that side. I want to be chivalrous. I I literally just mean everyday fucking things that for some reason nobody cares about like oh my god so i bike in the city right and i swear to god it's like people have never seen a bike before like a biker i am biking okay so i bike miles every day i live in north philadelphia and i bike to center city for work i bike to west philly for therapy mm-hmm. i bike to south philly to see friends so you know, every bike you know trip that i am doing is somewhere between probably about two miles and like six miles mm-hmm. and i swear i am in bike lanes minding my own friggin' business and i see a car come up and i'm like oh shit i gotta i gotta really watch out because like they might open their door and every time i'm like oh i'm already going past this car and like it's fine people are opening their doors and i'm almost dying on my friggin' bike because like people are literally just not taking the time to look and i you know that's a very specific instance but people do it all the time like crossing the street nobody's everybody's looking at their phones they're not looking up so like yeah i'm always ducking i feel like i feel like i'm in constantly in a video game and i have to be ready to like dodge roll out of trouble because people literally just don't care do you know what i mean like i I feel like you know i just feel like especially today um in today's time in today's society i feel like we are getting away from that now regardless of you know reasons why we feel that is i mean i have my own personal reasons on why perhaps the social climate has changed um sure i I feel like things are definitely different i feel like people are not uh, wholeheartedly caring about their fellow man essentially um everybody is kind of looking out for number one which you know in certain in certain situations that's great that is what you should do but, right. Like I'm not but, <laughs> I'm not trying to diss like, you know, self-care or any any you know kinds of those movements mm-hmm. like it, being able to say, "Hey, I'm actually doing too much. I'm overextended. Mm-hmm. I need to look out for myself." Just <laughs> just honestly being considerate yeah. and kind. Yeah. And that's and that's what I feel like a lot of people that's that's what we've moved away from and that's what we have to strive to get back to. You know, I th- and I think it's because it's so easy to not be kind. You know, I, I was telling yeah. my students today, I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I I am one bad day away from becoming a supervillain uh, <laughs> because <laughs> you know, just that's good. Some of the things that people say and do, I just get so annoyed, and you know, and I and I, I'm like, oh my God, I wish I could just do this, um, and then they'll that'll show them. But I know that that's right. not the right thing to do. So it's it's not easy 
right, to do the right thing. But you still got to do it because we we all live on this planet together. We, you know, mm-hmm. you know we live in this country together. Um, and I feel like we just need to... We need to get back to that. You know, when we talk about make America great again, yeah, let's let's take it back to a time when we're kind to each other. How about that? <laughs> Not to seventeen seventy. Let's make America great, period, for the first freaking time in mm-hmm, forever. Mm-hmm. How about that? And it also I, I wanna be clear that I don't I'm not, I don't just mean this in like people that you don't know, like strangers that you're running into on the street. This happens with people that you, you know, care about in your life too. I've had a a friend tell me this week that, you know, he, he just suffered, you know, a personal loss Mm -hmm. and he was talking to someone professionally and they treated him like he hadn't just suffered this personal loss because they were, you know, trying to be professional, except for like, that's not what being a a human being is Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. You have to say like, I am in this moment with you. I understand what you are going through and I'm going to be care. Like, I don't mean careful as in like precarious, but like, um, careful in the fact that you are full of care for that other person. Everybody has a life and a backstory, and you are not necessarily entitled to their space, their time, or their forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I. I really just had to get that off it's my chest and out of my system. Hey, that's what. That's what we have to do. We can't just keep things to ourselves. You know, the worst thing that you can do. I mean, I. I mean, I just turned thirty two, uh, two or so weeks ago, and I. And I just learned a couple of months ago, hey, if you keep things to yourself, the only the only person that you're going to hurt is yourself. So the mm-hmm. best thing that you can do, it's not complaining. It's not anything like that. You find a good friend and, hey, you'll just lay it out there. Not to say that you're trying to put your crisis over someone else's crisis. Mm-hmm. But, hey, you know what? One day your friend's going to need to do the same thing to you. Exactly. A a, a release. (laughs) It's not about, uh, you know, complaining necessarily. It's just about getting it Mm -hmm. out. I totally get that. Um, And speaking of good friends, I'm happy to have you here. Hey, man. I'm glad glad to finally be doing the show with you. (laughs) Me too. I think we should should probably introduce ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, um, welcome, listeners, to Not So Famous, uh, where we created this variety show podcast to make ourselves feel like we were. I'm totally just kidding. Um, <laughs> I really just wanted fans. That's right, why I'm exactly. Doing this. Why, Can you why tell? Don't you do, why else do you podcast? <laughs> it's obviously for the fame. Everybody that's ever been famous has always started with the podcast. It's a formula. Exactly. <laughs> the first step. Uh, <laughs> my name is Mitchell Hansen, and I'm your host and this uh, creator of this crazy show. Uh, and I am Marcus Sally. I am the co-host and co-creator of Not So Famous, uh, as well as the executive producer um, of this show through Shenanigans Incorporated, which is finally, finally getting off the ground. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, it is. Look at you, executive producer. Right? How's that feel? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm, I feel like there's going to be a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of just being like, why did I do this to myself? I already do too much. But you know what? I love staying busy and I love staying busy with, with my friends. So, 
You know what? I love <laughs> to avoid innuendo. Uh, I I love staying busy with my friends too, but uh, I, I I particularly love staying busy with of you, Marcus. You know. <laughs> um, just for some quick background on who I am and who you are, um, I am a Philadelphia-based actor, director, and teaching artist with my BFA in musical theater performance from the University of the Arts. Um, yeah, uh, I work at a restaurant full time to support my theater career, and I hope to go on and get my master's of arts and my master's of fine arts in directing and classical acting. Um, I'm 23. I love, uh, video games, Shakespeare, comic books, reading, performing, rap music, riding my bike, and I'm a sucker for sweets and long walks on the beach. Marcus, what about you? I am a 30 year old Virginia based actor. Um, I, I'm not going to claim DC, even though I've done shows up there. Uh, but I'm an actor, director, playwright, educator, um, with a BA in secondary ed history. And the theater. So I, I was I was blessed enough to get out of Anderson University with almost three majors, two degrees, but three majors. So you've been doing too much for like thirty years. I now. know, I know. That's what you're telling me. I, I told my mom when I turned thirty, I was like, Mama, I I look I look back at my life and I said, Man, I've done a lot for a thirty year old and I'm still like I'm still Seriously. adding things on and I feel like that's that's what you should do. You know, live life to the fullest, do as much as you can, because you know what? Tomorrow is not promised to you. Um, not at all. What are, the, what are some of the things you do so that the, the listeners can I hear? run a modestly successful YouTube channel. I'm not going to share it because it's kind of like my secret identity. Um, but I, <laughs> Ooh. right, right. But, um, but I can tell you, I do offer um, some relaxation to you um, with my voice. Uh, I... I co-host um, with two other friends, uh, a sister podcast of this um, for this particular podcast called Popcorn Prattle. Um, it's amazing. Everybody should listen right, to thank it. Thank you. We we love talking about <laughs> movies and just uh, film entertainment, and we're we're actually playing around with a new format. Um, so please uh, let me know if you listen to Popcorn Prattle. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, aspiring voice actor, playwright. I'm also a lover of Shakespeare. Uh, a wrestling fan and wine enthusiast. Uh, basically a whole bunch of things that shouldn't make sense, but I make it work. <laughs> uh, which is why I have Adaptable on my special skills resume. No, you don't, yes, do yes, you I really? Do. <laughs> yes, I do. I will send you the resume and, I'll be, and you'll look at it like, holy shit, he's got Adaptable on. And, you know, it's a great talking point. <laughs> In auditions yeah. and stuff? Direct, what's what's the craziest thing somebody says to you? Direct, I mean, they look, they look at it and they they're just like adaptable. Like, what does that mean? And I'm very proud. I'm like, <laughs> I, I I said if things go wrong on stage, you want me there. And so they'll and they try to throw me curveballs. They'll say like, all right, this happened, then this happened, and I'm like, listen, I'm like my top selling point from any director is Marcus can take a freaking note. Okay, so don't play, <laughs> don't play me like I'm one of these, you know, these guys with like a huge ego and like, oh, I don't feel like a character would do that. Um, because as my one of my acting coaches uh, in my first my first acting job, my first professional job, uh, mm -hmm. she put it um, when a young man said that to her, he's like, oh, I just feel like my character wouldn't do that. She looks at him and she's like, well, can you tell your character to fuck off? 
<laughs> she's like, because this is what I need you to do. Um, hey, I was just talking to a friend about that though, and she was like, "Yeah, like that is literally." I always try and prepare the hell out of my audition or or my callback or you know my sides or right, whatever. Right. Except for then when they throw you that curveball and they're like, "Do it like you are a nursing kitten." Like I'm like, bet I will fucking do it like a nursing kitten. You will not even believe mm-hmm. the nursing kitten note that I have to offer. <laughs> Which is, I think, awesome. I think that that's, you know, that's the pinnacle for an actor. That's a, that's the exactly. Peak. You know, people think people think like you know, acting is just all glamorous, and you know, it's like you get on Broadway, on Broadway, right? And you 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 <laughs> leave <laughs> you leave the stage door, and you get in your limo, and it's like no, the the real adventure is getting to that part. <laughs> that's well, or I mean, recording a podcast in your room that's like basically the same thing practically i mean we're practically on broadway right now i mean we're gonna win we're gonna (laughs) win a tony (laughs) (laughs) we're going for egots um (laughs) it starts here here on not so famous (laughs) we're trying to get really fucking famous (laughs) oh oh my god that's too good indeed (laughs) all right so (laughs) now that we've got our intros out of the way this first segment um, I really want to get into is like, what's like, what's the word? Like what entertainment of the week? What have you been, I don't know, like listening to reading, um, excited about film wise? Uh, what have you been watching? What have you been doing? You just turned 30. I did. You went on a trip. I went, man, I went back home. I went back home <sighs> to Cali. Um, uh, RIP Biggie Smalls for that song. Um, Oof. I, dude, I had such a great time because my my mother and I we were actually born the same day. Well, I was born on her birthday. Oh my yeah, god! Yes, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, we we um, I was like, I was like, let's go. I'm like, let's go home. Let's go back to San Diego. Um, mm-hmm. and it was just such a it was such a great experience. Um, we flew into L.A. and then we we traveled south. Um, to San Diego and kind of got a chance to see the city and how much it changed. There's so many breweries um, in San Diego now, um, and I just, dude, I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I am not ashamed to say it at all. Like I knew if I spoke more than a couple of words, like I was gonna cry, um, just because I, you just, you know, I was like, man, like this is where, this is really where the adventure began 30 years ago. And now to come mm-hmm. back and kind of be reflective and and I was just thinking about like all the great wonderful people I've met in those years and all the things I've been able to do and just to think to myself like man Mark like that's that's only till thirty what are you mm-hmm. going to do in thirty more years um, so you know that that was a great experience um, but as far as what the word is like what did I do what were some of the highlights. Uh, yeah, I, tell me, break yeah, it down. I've got, so I, I've got to first off give a shout out to the Temecula Wine Valley. Um, it is, it, Mitchell. This place is spectacular. Okay, there's like, you, you know, like um, I want you to think of in Philly, right? And mm-hmm. I know, and I know Philly's got one. I just I can't remember any street names right now. But think of like in Philly, there's a street and there's just bar after bar after bar after bar after bar. And you, yeah, can, yeah, bar, yeah. And you can bar hop like all night and still be like, man, we didn't hit all the we didn't hit all the ones that we wanted to. Right. That's how this wine country is set up. 
it's vineyard after vineyard after vineyard after vineyard and they're so lush and they're so beautiful and the wines are just magnificent dude they're, they're so good if you are a lover of wines i'm telling you you know yeah go to napa valley because i mean i i mean i love napa valley wines but temecula has got it going on are you kidding me so you're 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 basically basically telling me that you went to California and became like Dionysus, like the gr- Greek god of wine. I mean, pretty much. That's incredible. <laughs> pretty much. Um, I mean, we we were literally like we went to the wineries like literally on the side of a mountain, um, and just looked down and like we we're like driving up this mountain. My mom's like, "If Mark, don't don't make me turn to the right," because she's like she's like 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 white knuckling the steering wheel. <laughs> Um, She's like, I'm taking you back home to Mount Olympus. <laughs> right, that's what it felt like, um, <laughs> you know. And just like the first night, dude, we there were like over a hundred wineries in this in this one particular section. We went to four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we only hit four. Holy crap! Um, I mean, they were great. And my mom, I and I right. told her, I was like, I was like, I put down ten wineries that people said that we should go to. And she's like, oh, okay, great. We'll hit up 10. I said, no, no, no. I said, when we... <laughs> We'd be lucky if we hit half. Right. I said, let's just go. Let's relax. And let's just play it by ear. Like, if the winery sucks, we'll keep going. And if it's great, like, we'll stay and have a glass. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, had, we took Ubers, um, which my mom had never taken before. Uh, it was her first time. And she is now, like, she's going to buy stock. Because she's so fascinated by Uber. <laughs> she's so impressed. Right. She's like, oh my God. Like, why did you know their name? And I said, it's on the app. What? And they know your name? I said, yeah. Like, they know if I'm a good passenger and, like, if people should not drive me. And like, what? They rate you? I'm like, yeah, you can rate them too. <laughs> I saw I saw this hilarious meme on Facebook the other day that was like, behind each millennial is a baby boomer that doesn't know how to open a PDF. Yes. <laughs> and I just feel like that's what you're that's... telling me. You're proving this meme. Oh, right. absolutely. That's my mom. <laughs> She's like, can I buy stock portfolio <laughs> in, what did you call it? It was Lay Uber? No, mom, it's just Uber. fucking Uber. It's just, what? It's just Uber. <laughs> right so we we went to we went to wine country and then uh we were getting hungry i mean we were pretty i mean we were pretty like we were feeling pretty good feeling better more relaxed right and mm-hmm. we go to this place called devilicious um in temecula old town and devilicious is outstanding um if you everything it uh it advertises about being devilly oh delicious goodness, dude the burgers, the, you know, we had like, oh, we had like a, what was it? I think it was like a, uh, it was a fried cheese. It was something, oh, fried cheese balls, um, or fried macaroni balls. And they were so good. Um, you know, especially when like you're, you're drunk. I, I'm sitting there like, oh, this is hitting the spot right now. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to watch my weight, but like, I, I don't know that there's a time. Where if you asked me like, hey, do you want this? Do you want this fried cheese ball? I'd be like, mm, no, I'm okay. I'd be like, yeah, give me the freaking oh, of course fried you cheese. Don't turn ball. it down. This fried cheese ball. What are you doing? What's the matter for you? Eat that. You better, you better eat half. <laughs> at least, <laughs> but at least yeah. eat half. You with your mama. You can't disappoint. Right. So, so we go there, and then the waiter. So my mom was like, she went to the bathroom, um, as she was wont to do every five seconds. And the waiter comes up and he's like, hey, you know, like, are you guys going to go into speakeasy? It's like, it's free tonight. 
And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we have a speakeasy over here. And I had heard about the speakeasy, but I didn't know like, like how to get in because mm-hmm. when we walked in, like there was no indication that there was a speakeasy. And literally like I looked over and there was this, there was these two women, um, obviously bar hopping. And they were like, we want to go into speakeasy. And the mater D presses a button. The wall opens up like old school Batman. What? Bat cave. Yeah. And there was a speakeasy in the wall. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that you looked over and there were like two women by the wall and they were just looking at you and like gesturing you over. <laughs> and I was going to be like, oh my God, Marcus, I think you stumbled upon like a like cult. A, like a weird sex cult thing. <laughs> like eyes wide shut. It's so weird that you included your mother in the story, but. <laughs> so the, she was in the bathroom, so I just left. I, just, I left. Um, I so I um I, my mom came back and you know the guy took mm-hmm. her check and he was like, all right, all right, let's all right, you ready, you guys, ready to go? And my mom's like, what's happening? And I said, we're going to the speakeasy. She's like, what's a speakeasy? So we literally had to explain to my mother several times what a speakeasy was. And she was like, I'm not getting it. And we're like, whatever, just get up. So we go and she's like, I don't know if I want to do this, Mark. I said, no, mother, it's my dirty 30. We're doing it. And so we, he presses the button, we go in and Mitchell, I mean, think of like the, the Leonardo DiCaprio, great Gatsby, right. And Nick Carraway's face when he goes to the speakeasy, (laughs) that was my mother's face. Oh my God. It was, she was like, a whole new world. <laughs> there were like walls of like liquors I had never heard of before. I'm sitting there like, I'm like, not, and not to say audience, not to say like I'm a drunk or anything like that. <laughs> I I have just frequented many a Washington DC bar and, sure. and they, they have the classics. Like there was no makers here. There was no Jack Daniels. There was like, I literally recognized two. Uh, liquors that they had there was like unmarked liquor number one number two and number three what do you th- <laughs> and so we get there and the 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 um the uh, uh the the bartender and really this dude's a mixologist i've never bought into that term before because i'm like well that's pretentious this but he proved oh, dude, it this was a mixologist he i was like i was like i got something basic i said hey can i get an old-fashioned He's like, sure. You're right. He's like, okay. sure. He's like, what would you like, ma'am? And she's like, uh, I don't know if I want to get something. And I'm like, mom, you're in a speakeasy. Not a lot of people can say this right now. So I'm going to need you to nut up and buy something. <laughs> hey, mom, fuck the fuck up. Why, what are we here? You think this is an amateur right. hour? So she, so she's like, ah, can I get, what does she, what does she want? She wanted like some like very basic drink. And the guy <laughs> looks at her and he's like, Oh, she wanted a, a lemon, like a lemon drop or something. A lemon drop martini. Okay. And he looks at her and he's like, okay, can I take you out of your comfort zone for a little bit? And she's like, I don't know if I want to do this. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I promise you, I'm going to make you a drink. It's going to be like a lemon drop, but it's not going to be exactly a lemon drop. And I bet you you're going to like it more. And so she was like, okay. So he sits down and he makes this drink. Um, in the style of a margarita. And while he's making it, he's telling my mother the entire history behind this drink. Oh my God. And he, he thick and like, by the time he finishes the story, he's finished her drink and he's like, there, that 
is a B, not a bee's knees. He's like, that is a sidecar. And my mom tried it. And she's like, oh my God, that is good. She's like, that's so much better. And he's like, okay. He's like, next time you guys order a drink, tell me what you like and I'll make you something. This dude, I never got his name. But please believe we left him like the biggest tip. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, good. That's awesome. I wish I had a, a mixologist for like the rest of my right. life, but like <laughs> about every area of my life. I could be like, you know what? I just like, I feel like my toothpaste isn't really like what I wanted to do. And he'll be like, have you ever tried um, powdered toothpaste from <laughs> Aztec, Mexico? And I'd be like, no, I. I've never heard of that. Why don't you tell me about it? And he'd be like pulling it out. He'd be, you can get it for uh, $3.99 uh, in four installments. Um, I'm going to let you take a free sample right now. Change my life. <laughs> yeah. But, Dude, I'm so glad. That sounds like a freaking blast. Oh, it was so, it was so, so, so much fun. So if you, if listeners, if you are listening to this, um, and I'm not sure if we're going to put this on like a blog or something, or if it'll be on Podbean, um, but after you subscribe to this podcast, because I know you're going to like more of this, um, you should mm-hmm. definitely uh, look up Devilicious. And if you're in the Temecula Valley region, go to the wine country then finish up at Devilicious, go to the speakeasy, and um, I promise you, you're going to have a great time. Like, seriously. <laughs> that sounds so awesome. You've definitely convinced yeah. me. I'm sure people in the California area will be rushing to oh, Devilicious. <laughs> and the un- the unnamed mixologist that uh, right. <laughs> many a fan story will be writ about. <laughs> I got to meet that guy again. He was awesome. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Well, what about you, man? What what have you been what have you been up to? Well, I have not been up to anything so exciting as going to California and, and uh, you know, going into a speakeasy. I feel like what I'm about to say is like completely stupid in comparison. Um I wanted to touch a little bit on like the the some Marvel madness. I feel Ooh. like um I mean, I feel like there's a bunch of stuff that's been happening. You know, Iron Fist dropped, uh a few weeks ago and I just found out that they were going to cancel it like for season right. three. Did you hear I, that? Dude, I heard it. Not only did I hear it, I was very angry with Marvel over this decision. Me too. I just like, I don't understand. And I want to hear what you have mm-hmm. to say, but I don't understand how like, you know, if you've seen the two seasons, Iron Fist, and, and if you've seen other Marvel shows, I think Iron Fist is definitely the weakest. And I say that with a heavy heart yeah. because I do I do love Iron Fist as, as a, a character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that his, you know, the writing and the story has just – it's been hard to update. Yeah. Um, and this second season was so much yeah. better. I mean, like it was—it was not anywhere near near what uh, Daredevil has been, or like Punisher or Jessica mm-hmm. Jones. Mm-hmm. But it was—it was good, and I was excited, and it was different. And this whole thing with Colleen being the Iron Fist and like transferring it to her—that was such a great, um, you know, like, kind of segue into and a way to bring it back into our culture nowadays, right? right. Um, especially with like the prevalence of feminism and the Me Too movement, I was like, "Frick yeah!" Like, let's see this Asian woman kick ass. Well, hell, I mean, even I mean, even just the there are several scenes in this season where it's just Colleen Wing 
and Miss Unite, and I'm just sitting there like, give me a Daughters of the Dragon t- series. Like, these girls are money. Seriously, like, there's in almost entire episodes where we didn't see Danny, and I was like, that's fine. Yeah, and not because I didn't like him, but I was like, this is not this particular moment. He has nothing to do with it. It's it's not about him, right. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I felt like they handled that very well of balancing, you know, having Danny there, having him interact. And also, I love the fact that he was questioning the, the that he didn't have a culture anymore. He wasn't this preppy mm. white guy anymore. But he also isn't like... Some spiritual monk. Right. And so he's he spends the season being like, who exactly am I? And mm-hmm. I think that that was, to me, that redeemed Iron Fist because I feel like he spends the first the first season, they, they were a little too heavy. I got why they were trying to do that as like the youngster, mm-hmm. the hotshot youngster who needs to be put in his place a little bit. But mm-hmm. it came across as white savior. And Absolutely. It, and, it, and, it, and, I, and I, in hindsight, I'm like, I wish that they had just not done that. You know, don't make him the white savior. Like, just make him a regular guy that's just, again, like this season, just trying to find his place in the world. He's not trying to be somebody's savior. He's just trying to be like, I want to figure out what do I do with this power now? Well, and he had so much reflection on that Mm -hmm. in season two, Mm -hmm. which I think was a great, you know, saving grace of that that season. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and his whole idea of like, I realized that like, I was not a mentally and physically capable person, like fit to have this weapon necessarily. I thought that was great. I thought that, you know, just like you said, it it definitely redeemed the series for me, um, a little bit, but that's why I'm so pissed about the canceling of season three, just because I think that they, it's kind of, I feel like duped. They were like, we are gearing up to give you this friggin' like feminist, awesome, uh, like still badass Daughters of the Dragon kind of series with like Danny on the afterburner. And now it's canceled. Right. What? How? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Viewers were definitely up this season. Yeah. So... And people liked it. People people would say, like, I like this better than season one. Now, the people that flat out were like, oh, I'm not watching it because season one was so terrible. Well, I feel like that's... I feel like that's just a bad way of, of going at it. If you, if you like these shows, mm-hmm. I feel like you got to at least give it a little bit of a chance. Absolutely. And that's just being close-minded. And I don't need that negativ- negativity in my life, Marcus. I just don't. We, op- we literally opened a show about this, guys. Come on now. <laughs> have a little bit of empathy, okay? <laughs> Christ. <laughs> um, oh, well, speaking of, um, like, feminism mm-hmm. and all of that amazing stuff. Um, I was delightfully pleased. I don't know um, how many of our listeners are into video games, so I won't touch on this you know, too, too in depth. But I was pretty excited to pop in uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey last week. Nice. I've been watching the um, play <laughs> on PSN. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, it, you know, I, I just get like, uh, I'm like, okay, 45 minutes here yeah. or like an hour here. 
Um, but it is so enjoyable. It's so much fun. Um, it really just like, well, well, I shouldn't get sidetracked. Um, but the first thing that I want to say that, you know, led me to think about this was that, um, in the opening like sequence, um, it's these two women, these two scientists that are like, Hey, we found this, um, spear of Leonidas who used to be the King of Sparta. And we are going to like tap into the like memory of this item which will lead us back to the people that held it. And you get into um, the animus for the like uh, non-video gamer, non-Assassin's Creed people. That's the thing that you like literally lay down to it. And it, it is a virtual reality, mm-hmm. like projection. And so you get to then like go about as this person, essentially. Right. Um, it gives you the option. It says, hey, well, two people... Um, held this item around the same time that you're trying to get to um, this woman named Cassandra and this man named Alexios. And you get to pick mm. who you want to play as. That's cool. And I was like, dude, that is freaking cool. Because in all of the previous Assassin's Creed games, it was just like, you get to play as this great, great ancestor of yourself. And it, guess what? It's like an old Italian white guy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And in this one, it's like you get to play as a, you know, dark-skinned Greek man or woman. And I, for some reason, I have, like, an obsession with, um, I think that women are just better acted in video games, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like they're a little less Mm heavy-handed. Like, I feel like male voice actors in video games are always like, how can I, like, grunt really especially well? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And women are just like, hey, I'm here to, like, get the paycheck and do my friggin' job. And so I picked um, Cassandra. Mm -hmm. And, dude, it is awesome. She is so badass. And the, like, dialogue options change because she's a woman in ancient Greece. So everyone's like, I mean, I guess you could do this thing for me, but, like, you probably won't be able to do it. And she, like, will hit them Mm -hmm. and be like, fucking watch me. Right, right. Which I just think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the last thing I also have to say about this game, if you are on the fence because you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get like the bang for my buck, which is definitely how I am with video games. If I get a game, I want to play it for like a really long right. time. Um, just because like I'm broke. And if I spend 60 bucks on a video game, I want to make sure it lasts me. This game, I have played it over like the last week. Just like I said, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. I played it for like six hours, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Total. And I got to this part where it was like, and now you need to board this ship right. and like set sail on the sea. And I was like, what the hell? And I get on the ship and like the camera starts panning out and I'm not doing it. And I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? And literally it's like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I was like, the title sequence? <laughs> After six hours of me playing, I'm just getting to the title sequence. Right. Like, the the map panned out, and it showed me this huge world. And it was like, this is where you've been dicking around for six hours. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, great, yeah. brave new world. What is this video game? That's like um, Kingdom Hearts 2. Kingdom Hearts, oh Kingdom my Hearts God. 2 is like that, where you, that prequel... Uh, well, not the the prologue is what I think it's like. Right, uh, not quite. It's not quite six hours, but it's a long ass time. 
And then it's like, Kingdom Hearts 2. Like, you haven't even seen Sora yet. You've played a whole other game. (laughs) I I definitely did feel like, I was like, wait, this was the tutorial? Or something, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Um, Which is just crazy. I mean, I think video games, I could talk about them forever. But I think that they are really broaching a new format of storytelling. Most definitely. Um, I guess is really my point. And I'm really excited for all the games that are going to be released this Mm -hmm. fall. Mm Mm-hmm. Almost definitely. I um, uh, I, I just want to make an honorable mention too, uh, just because this is yeah. the first episode. And I know you've played this, and mm-hmm. I know it's not in her notes, but uh, no, 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 Spider Man. You know oh my god! Yeah, we know we have to. Like I, dude, I I saw you know you're the reason why I bought the game because I saw you playing it, and I was like, God bless. I was like, you know what? Mitchell has good taste in games. I'm going to buy Spider-Man. Best decision I ever made. It's probably one of the, like my top five games, yeah. I think. I'm so glad you brought it up. It is so incredible. Mm. It's like, I mean, just, I mean, you you can say it's a reskin of, of Arkham Asylum, which to me is also a very good game. Um, but you mm-hmm. can say it's a reskin of that. It is not. This It is so much you more. You feel like you honestly feel feel like you are spider-man mm-hmm. and you you do everything and if you know if you know spider-man lore it's a whole different experience for you you know because you're not getting like a fresh spider-man you're getting spider-man in his prime um mm-hmm. which is which is very fun and you get to meet these villains that you know that you that you know when you love you get to see the creation of some of these other like bigger name villains um, that mm-hmm. you know that everybody knows, and then just to see just the emotional level of every single scene. Like there are so many parts of this uh, particular game that I was crying. Oh my god, yeah! And I think the biggest thing that is it balances so well um, the both of the feelings, mm-hmm. right? So like the feeling of when you're swinging around. I told uh, shout out to my friend uh, Seth who also got this game and pointed this out to me. He was like, they look like normal people, mm-hmm. like Peter Parker in the cutscenes, and, and when you walk around, you know, to like talk to Aunt May and stuff like that. He he's like a good looking kid, but he's not friggin beautiful right, right which like thank mm. you because it, it balances those emotional moments well so that i'm not like I, you know that would never be a conversation that i have it's just like a normal yeah. kid and miles too mm. the integration of him into the story i think was just like oh dude a whole nother level His, that that first moment um and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil it because i want you guys to play the game but the first oh, yeah the first moment with miles um, I thought was very well crafted. Um, I love the fact that you, I love those games where, you know, it, it is, it is about more about the, you know, it's not about combat, right? It's about actually stopping to think. And I think that's what I love about, you know, the Assassin's Creed games, especially the early ones. You mm. have to think. You can't just run in. I mean, you can, but then you're going to have to like fight your way out. Right, which is going to be almost impossible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the newer ones where, like, I was just doing it uh, yesterday. I was like, I, you know, I, I found out while I was, like, sneaking around, and they have it on, like, a, a bounty system. So as soon as somebody sees you, 
like an, an, an NPC, just like a random person, they can put up a bounty in the world for you, and a mercenary will come to where you are and try to kill mm-hmm. you. And the more people that you kill, the more bounties are possible. Oh, crap. Which is crazy, mm-hmm. but it, 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 it correlates to Spider-Man in the same exact way. Like, uh, you, you have to really think, like, I know this is my objective, but what makes sense for me to do it and when? And that's what I was saying about, like, the balance, too, is that it, every time you jump off a, a building, you're like, what's the fastest route to, so that I can get to that fire or that robbery or that break-in? And I was like, gosh, I, I just feel like a superhero. Yep. And then when he takes off the mask, I feel like Peter Parker. Yep. Oh, yeah. And there's a nice balance Ex- of, of those scenes where, you know, you, you're wearing the mask, you're not wearing the mask. Um God, it's just such a good... I cannot wait for the DLC. Oh my God. Because like uh... apparently, I guess it's like... Like, this is... It's, it's, it is being toted as one of the better types of DLC where you're actually getting, like, a continuation of the story. Yeah. You know, as opposed to cash grab. You know, here's like a... Here's a side story that you really... That really doesn't affect anything. Right, you'll just get like an ability point or something at the mm-hmm. end. But I also think that what was great about, I mean, just as a, like a last little thing, mm-hmm. I, I think what makes it different than just like a skin over an Arkham Asylum game or mm-hmm. something is that, you know, I love Batman. He's my favorite hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but those games, sometimes they were they were overly difficult, right? Yeah. It was like, you have to collect 250 fucking Riddler trophies to even fight the Riddler. And I was like, that's not what I'm interested in. Whereas this with, uh, you know, Spider-Man, it was like, there's like 50 backpacks all around the city. And with each one of them, you get a memory and an audio log and it just starts playing. You don't have to go and like find it in your files and, you know, open it and read text or whatever. It's just like a, it, you know, Peter's like, oh, my God, my old blank. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen this in years, blah, 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 and just starts talking about it. I think that that was one of the coolest parts of the game. And same with the, like, uh, all the collectibles. I, I think I 100% completed it in, you know, a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, not because, you know, I was like, I need to get to the end, but because I was genuinely interested. Like, what is that, Yeah, you know, cutscene going to be at the end? I want to I want to find the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. 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 Exactly. Egg. Exactly. Marcus. Exactly. 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 <laughs> I can't even say. I can't say enough good things about this game, man. I cannot. Absolutely. I mean, ten out of ten. And again, that just points back to I think video games are becoming. Say what you want. You know. Say that we're lazy for playing them or whatever. Hey. But. But. It's not laziness. It's beautiful storytelling. And I think the turning point in video game history was in 2013 with uh, the production and release of The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would argue that that was like the turning point where like professional actors put on motion capture Mm. technology and acted the hell out of a script Mm. and made it. You know, people watched, I had friends that were like, I don't have the dexterity to figure out like how to do the controls, but you bet your ass that I looked up every, like a a cutting of all the cutscenes together Mm. to watch it like a movie. Yeah. 
which I just think is incredible. The fact that a video game can make me cry. I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. what? I went from playing Pokemon when I was four years old to this. <laughs> If you think I got into this habit because I am lazy, you are sorely mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Oh, most definitely, dude. Um, I'm so glad we got to talk about that. Thank you so much yeah. for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a quick, you know, last little minute thing for for what's the word? Um, I just want to talk since since we talked about kind of movies and TV, um, and video games. I also want to talk about. A non-technological form of entertainment. Of um, books. Thank you. Oh, the the many older listeners are saying, "Oh my God, I didn't follow any of what he just said." But <laughs> books, I can. Books, I can do. Um, and it's also uh, the book. The book of the week for for this segment is uh, I, I'm going to shout out a book that actually my grandfather sent me. Nice. Um, yeah, it was so cool. I told him that I was, you know, I was on the phone with him a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, I'm having a kind of tough time. It's definitely a transitional time in my life. Um, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to send you this book. And I was like, wow, how old-fashioned and sweet. <laughs> and he sent it to me in the mail with, like, a letter inside yeah. of it and, like, an inscription. Um, and it's called The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of it? Uh, I actually dated a girl who was kind of obsessed, obsessed with it. Um, she kind of—it's a great she kind of book. broke my heart, so I didn't get a chance to read it. But it has been on my—it's <laughs> so been sorry. on my reading list for many years. I should get over it because it's been—it's been some time. Um, I, I could well, read it now, but <laughs> well, maybe I, I should send you this copy I have with the description mm-hmm. and pass it along like a little Ooh. book club. Um. You mentioned heartbreak, which is, I kind of, can I like read you this quote about heartbreak a little bit that is from the book? Um, Your joy is your sorrow unmasked, and the selfsame well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper the sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven? And is not the lute that soothes your spirit the very wood that was hollowed with knives? When you are joyous, look deep into your heart, and you shall find it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. And when you are sorrowful, look again in your heart, and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. I like that. Isn't that just... Yeah. I mean, I know it's poetic, and it... it, it Listeners, I hope you look this up and, and you know, really take it in. Um, it, it can definitely take a moment to work through. Mm-hmm. But I just think there's something, you know, and this speaks to our love of Shakespeare as well. I think there is something so incredible about someone that lived, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago when this book was published. Mm-hmm. That is still so relevant and true to our experiences today. Um, That's what humanity is to me. It's those little moments, those little acceptances, those little joys Mm -hmm. um, and those little sorrows. And I think that um, this is an incredible book that in its short too, it's 95 pages and it covers so much. Each section is it's like on sorrow and joy on marriage, on friendship, on living, on, um, like having a house 
and he just has such a succinct way of saying, um, I think, something that we all need to hear, even if you don't agree with it right away. I mean, that's the only way you're going to learn, <laughs> you know, is to, to listen to everything. Try to take in as much information as you can. And after you get all that information, then you make your decision on whether or not you like it or not. But you can't make a decision about something unless you actually take the time to say, you know what? Let me give this at least a minute. And then right. I make my decision. And, and to hear another person's side yeah. of it, right? Yeah. Like to to hear someone that doesn't like it or someone that really does, someone that you don't agree with, which I think is actually the perfect segue uh, into our next segment. Mm-hmm. Um, a moment in the safe space. I I don't have a lot to say, but I know you want to talk about an a, a event that is currently happening in our um, political landscape mm-hmm. and, and news landscape. Um, but I just want to say that the, the purpose of this uh, segment to me is to stay informed, to, to stay interested mm-hmm. and to stay civil. Yeah. Um, to me, there's a lot of, you know, bipartisan bullshit that a lot of people are, are breaking through. Republicans are doing this. Democrats are doing this. I'm not saying that that's not, you know, integral to American society, but also sometimes just like we said at the top of the show, we need to practice more empathy, right? Mm -hmm. What are people feeling? In the wake of the news of this hurricane, not not talking about the aid that was requested, that was denied or anything like that. What are the people feeling? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can we help? Absolutely. Um, You said you wanted to talk about uh, in our notes, um, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I wanted to touch on Saudi Arabia because um, I don't know what it is about this particular thing, but it, it has been pissing me off. Um, mm. and I mean, I guess that could have been my crisis of the week as well. When you asked me like, Do you hey, have a crisis? go yeah. for it. Um, but I mean, again, you know, this is not, you know, this is not like a, a, a Trump bashing show or anything like that. But I will say that I feel like he gets a platform for his message and from his supporters Mm-hmm. But there's not really a platform for like anybody else. So you know, forgive me if you are now like, like, oh, is this going to turn political? No. Um, this is just about being a good person and a good human being, and also what it means to be a strong leader. Yeah, like no, it's not an, a, a, you know going to turn political, but also yes, like it, it everything is a little bit yeah. political, <laughs> and even his supporters and the people that you know think that he's doing a great job. One of the first things that many of them will tell you is, you know, I like him because he's not nice. I like him because he speaks his mind. He says whatever he wants and he takes action. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all great, except for when it's not, right? Mm-hmm. When he's not being uh, an empathetic and caring individual. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. I just know no, you're fine. Um, no, because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it's like we, we hold those qualities up for for him. But when anybody else does it, like all of a sudden it's a it's a bad thing. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do what a friend of mine recently messaged me about. He was 
uh, very much against the Black Lives Matter movement um, until he saw a couple of my posts on Facebook. I don't make my posts political, even though other people would like to make them political. I make mm-hmm. it as far as I am a black man. I'm a 20 something year old black man in America who fears having a child because I feel like either I'm going to get shot or they're going to get shot simply because of the color of their skin. And I expressed that fear. I was not bashing white people. And he, he took that and he was like, you know what? You know, I, I didn't feel attacked, so I, I listened. And I said, and that's what, and that's all it takes. We can't attack each other. We have to listen to each no. other. We have to talk to one another. And even if we don't agree at the end of it, we still have to talk to one another. But we can't be ignorant. We, like you said, we have to stay informed. And mm-hmm. the thing with the with the Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia business, um, for those of you who maybe don't know or maybe are un clear here are the basics um a journalist was murdered in saudi arabia and saudi arabia is being accused of carrying out that murder now um and covering it up yes and covering it up um now again there i will you know again i will be bipartisan just a little bit and i will say that no one is quite sure of what actually happened because apparently the cameras didn't record where the journalist left because he quote unquote left from the back well and right i mean like you know cameras what are they really they're they're not much better than sleeping guards right. really it's like it's like you know playing metal gear solid as long as you are not in the path <laughs> like it won't it, you won't be seen as long as you've got a cardboard box exactly. over you exactly um you know and as trevor noah you know he pointed out because i listen to trevor noah every morning uh as he mm-hmm. pointed out on his show the uh saudi arabia came out and said like well the cameras they don't hold the information for longer than 24 hours and so he's like, is it Snapchat? Is that what you're running? Because like, <laughs> there's no other reason why that wouldn't still be there because that's the whole point of a camera, especially as a security we, camera. We get all our security through Snapchat Incorporated. <laughs> you can add funny filters to uh, Goodness gracious. your murder victims. Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're right. on the same page. Um, and I, uh, and and really, I mean, that's that's not what has gotten me in such a frenzy. What's gotten me in this frenzy is Donald Trump has come out and said that he talked to the Saudi prince, and the Saudi prince says he didn't do it. So I gotta believe him. Wait, what yeah, the fuck? This is the this is the leader of the free world. Right. This is our president. This is the man that we said we want you to represent America to all of our allies and our enemies. And I'm sorry, but when it comes to people that fall in line with his ideas, whether they be mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin, whether they be uh, the KKK in Charlottesville, um, Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh um, I can't remember. Oh, Roy Moore, the the pedophile out that was. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Like he was that Alabama. Alabama, excuse me, Alabama. 
And I'm sitting there, I'm like, why are you defending these people? But you're not defending these pe- the other people who didn't do anything. You're up here caging Latinos because you want to you want to create fear by saying MS13 is coming. Ooh, MS13. Ooh. Yeah, cuz you can't mention Al-Qaeda anymore, right? Cuz no one's afraid of Al-Qaeda cuz we're fighting Al-Qaeda right. right now. We're fighting ISIS. So you can't use ISIS, you can't use Al-Qaeda, but let's just make MS13. Ooh, we don't know. It could be any Latino. Are you freaking kidding me? Well, and again, that that's I guess, you know, even getting rid of like the the bipartisan issue about it. it. Yes, I don't agree with his policies, but also he he just seems to be that's that's his platform mm-hmm. fear. Right. I, I want to build a wall because people shouldn't be able to enter our country. I want to lock them up because MS-13 is coming. Um, we need to believe them because if we don't, then we're uh, attacking all men or, you, you know, like and it just seems like if anyone is allied with mm-hmm. him, we instantly believe them. Instead of questioning, which I think a great leader, just as like a great artist, a, a great, you know, director says, hey, you know, I, it's not it's not about belief. It's about like what we can recreate, mm-hmm. what we know for fact. Right. 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 Um, but we don't want to do that. We don't. I, I mean, I'm a I'm a firm believer that we have gotten to the point as a society. We don't want to think anymore you know it's like it's become Mm -hmm. uncool to think it's become a it's become a bad thing to think and use our Mm -hmm. minds and gain an education and i'm like that is not okay that is not what we as a society should be upholding what we should be upholding is you get as much education as you can and you change the world Mm -hmm. but for some for some reason in this weird bizarro world you know again it's become like a penalty to use your mind to question you know like we we hear like you know if you question trump you are pretty much a traitor to america like you're not american you're not real american you're just disrespecting our president how am i disrespecting our president by by asking a question like that's the basis <laughs> of our governmental system yeah. you think i didn't ask questions when Obama came out with Obamacare? Of course I did. Of course I did. Right. It was changing the entire <laughs> landscape of healthcare. Right. Like, like, did you blindly go along with Obamacare? I'm sure you did not. So why are you blindly going, going ahead and saying like, well, uh, Saudi prince said he didn't do it. So, or Vladimir Putin says the, uh, the Russians didn't, um, hack us. During the elections. But, well, OJ said he didn't do it either. But, I mean, mm-hmm. Christ, mm-hmm. like, I, I just, it's very, it's frustrating. I am getting emotionally tired of being emotionally mm-hmm. tired all the mm-hmm. time. But you know what, though? We got to, and I told this to my friend who messaged me, I said, we have got to stay vigilant. We have got to continue to fight back. Absolutely, you know, and and not and again not in like a like a, a violent way or in like an angry way. I'm like we've got to fight back with love, and we have to show people like, look, this is really what we want our society to be like. 
Mm-hmm. We don't want it. We don't want our society to be um, hateful and mean spirited. And and founded in fear. Yeah. We want our we want people to just grow stronger, to to feel safe. To speak up, to speak yeah. out. Like there's which there's I, no, th- oh, yeah, I thought I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just am also very passionate about um the fact that yesterday was the one year anniversary, uh when we're recording this. Yesterday was the one year anniversary of the Me Too mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. And that is all about staying vigilant and speaking up and speaking out and not being able to say, hey, this thing about our society is fucked up and we need to change yeah. it. Yeah. I, I think that is the basis of what makes uh, uh, America the greatest country on the planet or has the potential to be the greatest country on the mm-hmm. planet. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to say that. I'm not unpatriotic just because I don't agree with the, the current administration. Exactly. I mean, if again, if anything, it it makes you even more of a patriot because you're like, I'm not going to just follow blindly what someone else says. I you'd think for a country founded on literal revolution <laughs> that it wouldn't be such a foreign concept. Yeah, but it was different. <laughs> it was, but it was so different, Marcus. But. They threw tea. But remember, we want to we but we want to get back to that time. We want to get back to that time, but we don't want to do like everything the exact same. But we want to get back to that time. They they threw tea, and now we just want to have the tea. <laughs> <laughs> we were spilling too much tea on this first episode. People were like, "Oh my god!" Seriously, this. <laughs> I'm happy we're doing it. Indeed, indeed. I feel like you know. Again, I feel like Trump Trump has his supporters, and they they have their platforms. And I'm not going. I'm not going to say that I. I will not say on the air that I hate Trump. But but you will not not say. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I will. I will. You know what? But anybody that has an issue with anything that you know has been said here, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, hopefully, I can speak for my brother right here. I mean, we you we will have that dialogue with you, and not and yes. not. But I will not combat you. I'm not going to, you know, go on. I'm not going to be e-thugging on Facebook. <laughs> you know, oh my God. Like, Do not get in the comments <laughs> section of this thing if you have a problem with yeah. me. Like, but we, if you want a civil conversation, oh, please, please believe I am. I'm right there and I'll be, I'll be glad to hear your side. I Because I, I honestly want to know what is it about Trump that makes you support him? Absolutely. And if you have heard of news that we haven't heard of or, or anything like that, hey, send me a link and say, hey, thought you'd think that was this was interesting. Mm-hmm. I would love to read more. Always looking to expand my perspective. Absolutely. Which is something that uh, I think the, the focus of our next <laughs> segment and um, before we get to our, our, our final segment, this next one, he, he is not necessarily looking to expand his perspective he's, he's a little little bogged down right now we gotta pray for him uh this is a, oh my god gotta pray for him that's all i gotta do for listeners i'm talking about dear dear kanye west um at, at the writing of this this podcast at the you know beginning formation stages we wanted to have kanye's corner with a k mm-hmm. um <laughs> Kanye's corner with a K because 
we both, you and I, see him, him as an incredible artist. Um, and as someone who has been through incredible adversity and challenge and has still used it to um, fuel his artistry album after album throughout his, you know, incredibly lengthy discography. Um, but right now my brother is dealing with some shit. Dude. I mean, that's, Uh I mean, that's, that's an understatement of a year. Seriously. Uh, And, you know, I, I want Kanye's corner to be a thing. I'm pretty excited to, to delve into it, but, in no way do, and I hope I can speak for you, I, in no way do we condone his actions. You can't. You, it, it pains me, Mitchell. It, ugh, like, it hurts. I, like, I, I have never, since listening to Kanye back in high school, I've never skipped a track. And today, when I was, you know, driving, driving to your mom's to, to record this podcast, I skipped... Mm-hmm several Kanye tracks because I was like I just can't it's like it's like it's like a family it's like a family member died you know it's like oh I can't I I can't listen to you because if I listen to you I start Mm. thinking about the good times and then I start thinking about where you where you are right now and it's so it's like a breakup yeah it's like a breakup which ironically I would use Kanye to soothe my breakup but I can't because I'm not listening to Kanye right now See, for me, it's like I have to go back. It has to be 808s or earlier. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I skip it because I feel like it brings up bad memories. Yeah. But right now, if it's like 808s, I'm like, okay, that's like, you were still good. You still, you had your shit together. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Rocking myself to mm-hmm. sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm just so disappointed. Um, I mean, you and I had talked about how we thought that Not necessarily that it was a publicity stunt, but that, um, you know, his his alter ego of Ye was this kind of manifestation of his grief Mm -hmm. through his last like five or six albums Mm -hmm. as he went through the stages of grief after losing his fiance and uh, his mother um, after 808s. And I thought that, you know, he was going to release Yandi and it was just going to be like this whole old school, you know, Kanye 2007 vibe from him. And instead he fucking delayed the release and met with Trump in the white house and said Superman like 50 friggin' times. I, I don't know. I don't have the energy to really get into this thing, but I am looking forward to, taking time in this segment and in, in subsequent iterations of this segment to dive into his discography, his artistry. And I think you put it best when you said like dissect who he is and when the turning point mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. for him as an artist. Cause I, I mean, I like to think of us kind of as, you know, and I, and people laugh at me when I say this, but you know, I kind of look at this as like almost Kanye, uh, philosophers, Kanye, Kanye West historians. I mean, we we have talked Kanye connoisseurs. Right. I mean, with a K. With a K. <laughs> um, and I and I just, you know, I would have wine, rap, and cigar nights back in the day. Um, you know, post college. I mean, you and I had yeah. one. 
And just, just to like, and just, just the amount of like information we would sit and we would talk about Kanye and we talk about like all these different things um, that he was going through and what and how that inspired his music and how it changed his music mm-hmm. and how that inspired like other rappers who maybe you wouldn't have given the time of day before, but because you like Kanye, you're like, you know what? I think I might listen to Childish Gambino. I think I'm going to listen to Lupe Fiasco. I think I'm going to listen to uh, 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 B.O.B., you know, um, mm-hmm. before he was a flat earther. Um, <laughs> well, and, and people, you know, we mentioned this in the last conversation that you and mm-hmm. I had of, like, Kanye, in a lot of ways, like, that that sudden change from um, graduation to 808s and Heartbreak mm-hmm. was such a turning point and a... a, a a jumping off point for the rest of the rap world in that like rap doesn't have to be about, um, you know, sex guns and like being a a thug necessarily. It can be really emotional and volatile and like weird and edgy. And I think that, you know, some of those artists that you just mentioned, uh, you know, also Kendrick Lamar, chance they would not be able to like i was i listened to uh, a kanye song from um late registration and it, it went right into a chant song and i was like gosh this is beautiful you know and, and they, they have a, a similar vibe and if you listen to kendrick lamar and then uh 808s or uh dark twisted fantasy back to back it sounds similar mm-hmm. too mm-hmm and so I'm so thankful for Car- uh, for Kanye's artistry yeah. in that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. that he sh- has really shaped the American rapper in a way that I don't think we would have gotten without him or not as yeah. soon. Oh, absolutely. And and not to but, say that you know that you know Kanye is the the end all be all, but I think that again, like he definitely he definitely pushed that door open so that these other rap artists could be heard, could excel. And even and mm-hmm. even at times surpass um, Kanye, and and that and, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's okay. That's that's a beautiful thing. We shouldn't just have one sole rapper that we are obsessed Absolutely. with. But I also feel like right now where Kanye's at in his life, we need to look back and you know again just. Start, try to figure it out, man. Like I, because I, cause I've been racking my brain for weeks trying to figure out like what is happening to Kanye West, and and I'm and I'm gonna pray for him. I'm gonna pray for him, but oh, I, but too. I cannot. I will be the first one to tell you like I cannot support. I'm not that I supported his earlier comments about you know slavery being a choice and whatnot. No, but I also feel like this is. A prime example of, and this is you know speaking as a black man, this is a, is a prime example of we in the black community we need to not put such a stigma on mental illness and think of it as making us weak. You know, absolutely. Like, I feel like because because we are black, um, we I feel like it's shocking to me that we don't have more cases like Kanye West 
or just more examples of mental illness within the black community because not mm-hmm. not to say like whoa whoa is me you know this that and the other I'm but I'm saying like there's so much stress and so much to worry about that like eventually you will break and when you break how do you deal with it I feel like we've 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 been lucky enough as a people to have religion to fall back on mm-hmm. but Kanye West, you know he ain't going to church, and you think Kim is giving him the best, you know, advice right now. And again, I don't know. I look, I don't know their relationship. I don't no. know, but I know that when I look at the track record as far as who goes into the Kardashian family, lots of people don't come out that doesn't already have the name Kardashian. Well, and I will also say, if you look at Kanye's track mm-hmm. record, right? I mean, with songs, uh, you know, like uh, Hey Mama mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, all of his mixes having these, like, huge, beautiful gospel choirs behind them. Um, Jesus Walks, you know? He has such a uh, an incredible connection or had such an incredible connection to his faith and to his mm-hmm. roots and he has obviously lost his yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to get, like, biblical about it, but absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm really excited for uh, your perspective in all mm-hmm. of this. Um, as, we, as we get into dissecting, you know, what this turning point was and, and where he was and where he's yeah. going. Most definitely. So before we continue on to our final segment, which I am so excited mm-hmm. about, um, guys, we are going to just take a, a little bit of a break. We're going to get some water, um, use the bathroom, and we're going to introduce you to a podcast that maybe you haven't gotten a chance to listen to yet. Um, maybe you can give it a listen. And hey, while you are listening to that podcast, why don't you go ahead, go on to iTunes, go on to Spotify, go any place that you can find uh, this podcast, Not So Famous. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, uh, give us those stars, whatever you feel is right, because we want people to know that Not So Famous is the grab bag of podcasts you don't know what you are going to get but i promise you you are always 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 going to enjoy it so we'll be right back with the exciting conclusion of our first episode so stay tuned you know i mean usually whenever people start talking about doing a you know, I mean, look, things, here's like, the point that I'm trying TV to make here, okay? Know, Barb this is isn't what I don't that understand. I mean, important. How I mean, could I don't understand they have how you made a movie this bad? I mean, I know Who like, greenlit this? Who said that this was okay? Look at the adaptation that came before. Yes, there have been many, but I'm talking about Come get belligerent on Popcorn Prattle Film Talk Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. You'll be glad you did. All 
All right. So this next segment is my pride and joy. It's uh, it's my bread and butter, and truly it's the heart of what this podcast is and, and why I wanted to create this show. And it's called Inside the Everyday Artist's Studio. Now, this segment is all about interviewing and chatting with people like uh, myself and like you, Marcus, who consider themselves to be artists uh, but aren't necessarily on Broadway or, or household names. I'm trying to uh, dispel the notion that success is linear and production-oriented and focus on what artists like ourselves do every day to earn our title. And each episode, we're going to close out debating a a personal artistic quandary with a a special guest, which brings me to our incredible special guest for our very first show, my mother. Um, (laughs) For those of you who don't know the force of nature that is Deb Hansen, I have prepared a few words. So uh, Deb holds. No. <laughs> I'm just I, 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 gloating over force of nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got very official for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so Deb, mom, holds a master's of arts in English literature with an emphasis on writing, and has taught for over two decades in different school systems all across Virginia. She's taught in Illinois and even Japan. She taught English for six years before transitioning into teaching high school theater for three years after a a pretty pivotal moment that she actually mentioned to me earlier, and and we're going to get to in just a second. Uh, She then taught middle school drama for about six years before being offered the job where she currently teaches uh, theater at Colonial Forge High School around about 11 years ago. Yeah, that's over 25 years of teaching experience, not to mention... uh, her directing fellowship at Juilliard, her acting fellowship at Atlantic Acting School, her roles in community theater, student and professional films, and the hundreds of productions she's directed or overseen in the past 25 years. I'm proud to have you on the show as our first guest, Mom. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. That was a really great and true. It was. I feel really kind of impressed to know myself <laughs> <laughs> you should be we're all we're all proud to know you and I, i'm so excited for the, to have you here thank you i mean i see, um, I get to see you every day that's true so. <laughs> he's like uh, you get to you get to see her more than i know <laughs> he's like i watch her eat yogurt <laughs> we talk about another we talk about having our own podcast that yeah this is this is the, this is the beginning this is this is exciting. This is. this is the first step. And I'm wearing headphones. <laughs> right. What's not to love? She was so excited really? about the headphones. She's so excited, so excited about the headphones. <laughs> All right. So you told me earlier, Mom, that you had um, this pivotal moment as a teaching artist when you transitioned from teaching English to teaching theater. And I think it's it's really important before we dive into the, our big question for the day. Um, that you talk a little bit about this experience. you want to tell us about it? Sure. Um, well, I was teaching English at a high school, and mm-hmm. the theater teacher there said that musicals weren't really true theater. So their high school had never done a musical. And I grew up doing musicals and loved them and mm-hmm. felt like I got so much from being a part of that community and learning from choreographers, vocal directors, acting directors, everything. And so I was kind of angry that these kids weren't going to get this experience because of his belief that it wasn't truly theater. When, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, it's triple the theater. (laughs) You're doing a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And so I proposed to the principal that I would direct a musical. I got the band teacher on board and the chorus teacher on board, and he said okay, and he floated me $2,000 to get the rights to musical. And the understanding was that I had to pay him back and that anything else we made then would be something to roll into the next musical or whatever. Mm. So I organized the meeting. I had a bunch of people show up. And then we had auditions and nobody came. I mean, like 12 people came. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I sent out letters to the kids that had come to the interest meeting, especially the boys. And I was like, yo, you're a dude. You said you want to do this? Get over here. We're having another meeting. (laughs) Try out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they did. And we did a small show, Once Upon a Mattress. And I borrowed things from everywhere because the drama teacher was steadfastly not going to give me anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't get paid to do it. It was just to see if I could do it. Mm -hmm. And I think there were about 25 kids involved, maybe 15 in the pit. Um, you, Mitchell, were about two and a half, and I would go pick you up after school and bring you back, and I paid a student to babysit you while I was directing <laughs> the show, and they did a big newspaper article about it because it was the first musical ever at this high school, and there's a line in the article about my son cavorting across the stage, um, but you would turn off your diaper and just ran mm-hmm. across naked, and the babysitter's like <laughs> running after you. Um, so that was a highlight. Uh, of course, the reporter was there that day. So um, <laughs> that was that was a highlight yeah. for me as well. A, I, I didn't I think remember. It was a highlight you, for everyone. I think it's going to be yes. a highlight for everybody listening to this on the yeah. first episode. Yeah, it's, it's really. I mean, of all the things to tell you about this musical. That's that is one of the highlights. It's really that I ran across the stage mm-hmm. naked yeah. at two and a half. in a rehearsal, not in a in, show. In a... Yeah. Oh. You were at home. Well, at least it's oh. there. Um, but the, but then by the Wednesday of show week, we had done mm-hmm. pre-sale tickets on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and we had made all of our money back, and we're able to pay the principal, and then we made. Extra money, of course, because people came to the door and wanted to see it because they didn't know what even we were trying to do. And it was awesome. And then from there, I got offered a job in that same county at a high school teaching theater. So That Very is cool. incredible. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. Um, but what I was saying to you earlier, which I really didn't think about until I said it to you, today was that it's really goes back to that like artists making their own work which I really didn't think of it like that I just said here's a need I'm angry and I'm annoyed that people aren't going to get this experience I had this experience I love this experience and Mm -hmm. I want to offer that experience to other kids and I created something that was just born out of a passion for that particular art form of my own and then I had the opportunity to just be teaching it which was pretty great well absolutely you saw a gap you know and you were like wait I can fill that I have the the not even you know the credentials necessarily (laughs) but the stamina Mm -hmm. and the excitement and the passion Mm -hmm. to do it which I think is is really what 
you know, teaching artists. Uh, I think that that is such a big thing when it comes to teaching artists. I always say that when you step into the room as a teacher, you have to have the energy of all of the amount of people that you are teaching. So if you're teaching 10 people, you have to have the energy of 10 people. And you certainly embodied, you know, the energy of 25 people when you said, hey, principal, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Yeah. Um, it was, which leads it was me, a little I mean, scary. Um, but I don't remember thinking it was scary. I was right. more just worried about, can I pay this money back? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do if kids don't want to come see this right. or want to be in this? Mm-hmm. It all worked out. Well, that's what a lot of, I feel like that's what a lot of artists, you know, when you when you hear about those people that are successful, you know, they they are taking a big risk. And I think it's because of that risk, they they fight a lot harder. It's, you know, it's it's basic acting, really. Um, mm-hmm. When you think about, you know, if, yeah. you're not, if you're on stage and you're trying to play a part, um, if you're not fighting hard enough, well, then no one's, you're gonna, people are going to lose you. Right, no, no one's going to pay attention to you. But when they see you on stage and they're actually fighting, not only are they engaged, but you're now more engaged in what you're doing, and you have a better performance. Um, and I think it's important for, especially for any artists that are, are listening to this, and you know, are like steadily writing down, like, all right, let's make some stuff. You know, let's do this, let's mm-hmm. do that. Um, you know, take those risks, but at the same time, um, know that when you do take a risk, you got to fight for it. Um, because Absolutely. otherwise, no risk, no reward. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. So, I mean, you, I, yeah, I just think that that is so important, and that's incredible that you know you felt you could do that, uh, just <laughs> jumping in there. I mean, and that you you did it like <laughs> and completed it and got the money back and then some. Right. And just like you're saying, Marcus, I think that that is. Uh, because she, it, it wasn't guaranteed to her. It wasn't like here's the money and like no worries about paying it back. Mm-hmm. You, you had to get those people there. You had to send those letters and <laughs> try again if it didn't work out the first time. That's my strong arm that I didn't really realize I had. It. <laughs> but yeah. But you found out pretty quick. Yeah. Well, and I also think I don't know. It's just really interesting when I look back at that and think that I was so compelled to do that. And now talking about it, I'm thinking, I had been in a lot of musicals. Mm-hmm. I had been in a lot of plays. I had been in a lot of theater classes. And I'd never directed anything. And somehow I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I'm going to show that other guy mm-hmm. that this is a thing that people should be able to do. Right. And I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I did mm-hmm. it. And it probably wasn't the best thing I ever directed, but dang, it felt like it at the time. I mean, right. it was the only thing I'd ever right. directed. So I was really proud of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I think that kind of leads right into this big question that we're talking about, which I, I think I know the answer to. But I, I want to hear, you know, your experiences uh, with this question as teaching artists and, and if you've, you know, had any um, anybody ask you this question. Really, I want to think about, are teaching artists artists in their own right? And if so, why and how? Do you mean purely as educators of artists? Are we ourselves artists? Yeah. I didn't use 
think so, really. I mean, you and I had this discussion a couple, what, years ago, where I was really fretting about something, and I was running it by you, and you said, well, Mom, (laughs) that's because you're an artist. That's why you're thinking of it like that. And I said, no. And I think I kind of compartmentalized myself in terms of, like, I'm performing, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm directing, I'm teaching. Mm. And I didn't really think about those things overlapping, even though, as we all know, good educators are good performers in a way. We're going to get people's attention. We're going to try to keep things interesting. We want to engage Mm -hmm. the people in the room. Right. And by ourselves taking risks, we're encouraging others to take risks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I I think now that I think of myself more in that way, but I don't think originally I did. I just figured, like, I'm a teacher, and that has its own pitfalls and things that people think think about it. Mm -hmm. I almost don't think of myself as a professional because... So few people think of us as professionals. We don't get that courtesy. I mean, I have my master's degree and plus some, and I'm not paid anywhere near somebody who works in a different field that doesn't have the education I have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's hard to think of myself as a professional, and I just think, eh, I'm just a teacher, mm-hmm. just slogging a shift at school. Um, Working a shift at school today? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then kind of coming to reconcile and realizing that as an educator, the more that I pursued learning more about things that were interesting to me or that I wanted my students to know, that then I had to put myself out on a limb to try to have experiences that would help them that would help me grow and then I started to realize oh like all these things are connected Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the directing fellowship and the acting program and all of that stuff that I could bring back the teaching workshops all those things sort of coalesced into something um, that felt more like a cohesive artist right yeah, I mean, I and you said, like, you know, we had this conversation a couple of years ago, and I told you you were an artist, but I really think that um, in the same way that, uh, you know, a director in a rehearsal process has to embody uh, kind of all the aspects that they want to see, they have to, you know, be able to jump up there with the actors and give them a note, and also be able to look at the stage picture, and also be able to follow along in the music, and also be able to you know think of of lighting design ideas i want it to look like this i want it to you know you are in some way grabbing onto a bit of that artistry with every little thing in the classroom just like you're saying you know you you went and you were like i need to to teach about directing i feel like i need to not only direct more but i need to learn from someone about directing so that you can you know hit those get those um like either the words to classify it or, you know, bring ideas and say, oh, that I've had that same idea. I just didn't know what to call it or how to classify it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that is the epitome of why teaching artists are artists and that they are some of the most well-rounded and underappreciated artists in the field. I mean, 
the fact that you don't feel like you're a professional even after you know my very very official introduction of you <laughs> um, and all your experience just goes to show you know how much we underappreciate and undervalue our teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think to a degree it has to do with if I'm in the professional world and I'm a lighting designer, yes, I'm on a creative team, but I have an expertise and I'm doing that. Whereas in the high school world, if I'm the director, I'm also designing the t-shirts, I'm collecting the money, I'm working out the lighting looks, and I'm maybe Mm -hmm. working with students who are trying to come up with lighting looks. And so I have to articulate that to them. So I really do have to know a lot about a lot of different things mm-hmm. um, rather than just be a really hardcore expert in one realm. Right. Not that those people don't collaborate, but the kind of stuff we have to do and have to do on a budget that is so small and not provided mm-hmm. Any of that is is provided by our school system. It's just money that we make that we can roll back in, and you know that 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 does lend you a certain degree of I don't know what's you know sticktuitiveness, yeah. I guess, about what you have to do and what you have to learn, and that you might have to educate yourself mm-hmm. because oh, now I have to teach somebody about how to do this, mm-hmm. so I have to know how to do this. I have to know how to call a show, even though. I've never been a stage manager personally. Mm-hmm. I have to know how to talk to the band right. about this music, even though I don't really, right. you know, <laughs> play an instrument. I have to be able to be like, no, this needs to be slower. This mm-hmm. needs to move up mm-hmm. here. This tempo for this emotional moment needs to be this. And so, right, or to tell yeah. a performer like, hey, I think you're a little flat here, or right. I think you know, it's, these are the. These are the, you know, qualifications so that I can communicate with you as a vocal performer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting because I think of all the realms in which I've dabbled. I mean, I feel the least strong about my choreography. But I always tell the kids, it's funny, when I'm watching a musical, I can pick out somebody who's not doing the right thing in a hot second. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is that that it's called, Mm. that they're supposed to be doing. I'll be like, you know that part when this thing, and they're supposed to be twirling, her arm's this way, their (laughs) arms are that way, you know. I can I can hone in on all that stuff and pick it out, even though I have no idea what the proper choreography terms mm-hmm. are. Um, so you just have to really be aware and be kind of educating yourself as you go. And I think it takes a special person to be able to teach theater because, you know, I mean, there's several times where, you know, you look at me and it's like, I wish I could just teach. I'm mean, mm-hmm. sorry, I wish I could just, I wish I could just be working with, plays or I wish I could just oh no I was I was right the first time I wish I could just teach you know my lessons the way I want to and not have to worry about you know paperwork or doing you know all this other stuff that you would have to do when working with the one to two grades a week how do you grade kids on process exactly exactly you know you know am I like you're not trying hard enough (laughs) for this scene you're not an artist which is hard because you have some kids who get it naturally the first time and then you have some kids who don't necessarily get it but by the end of Mm -hmm. the year you're like oh my gosh like I did not realize that you had it in you had I done what you know you would expect from like a math class or something and just Mm -hmm. failed you and just discouraged you from day one Mm -hmm. you would have never gotten to this point but you know you know and that's and that's one thing that I, I love about watching you teach is that you you take your time with everybody, um, 
And then, and you find those strengths, you find those weaknesses and you say to yourself, all right, go further with this. Or like, hey, this is a weakness that you have and you want to go on to drama two, drama three, drama four, fix it. Let's sit down. Let's figure out how to fix it. You know what? You should audition for the musical or, hey, take a step back for a moment. Maybe think about this before you go on the audition and then you'll be successful. And I feel that puts you in a better position to really get to know the kids. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, I, mean and, I mean, that's why the kids call her mama to this day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, well, but it also it's, it's very specific. It's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I think that plays right into the fact that, m- Mom, you teach in a way that is kind of like uh, a collaborative proce- process, just like rehearsal is a collaborative process. Like, you teach in the same way that you might rehearse in the theater world, like in the professional theater world. I've always kind of thought that your job, you know, you're saying, like, I handle the budget and I make the T-shirts and I design the shows and I help, uh, uh, you know, with casting and I help pick uh, the directors for, you know, student-directed pieces and things like that. I've always thought of you as kind of an artistic director of your own self-contained theater company and being a student in that company is kind of like, you know, being a uh, company member where you have, you know, different shows and you're like, hey, I think you'd be great for this show. Or, hey, if you want to, you know, you know, re-sign your contract next year and go up to drama two or whatever, then you need to do X and Y to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, it's such an incredible uh, way to view a classroom. And I think that that's why you have so many students that come out of it um, trying to pursue theater because they feel like they already know it in an intimate way. Like, you know, Marcus, you're saying like they call her mama, Um, but also in a professional way of like, damn, if I can handle, you know, the the critique in class and in rehearsal and this and this and this and get this uh, special attention from, you know, Mama Hanson, then I can definitely handle auditioning in the professional world too Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think i hope overall that what they're getting out of it is that if they have a passion for something people will recognize that and that that is to be nurtured and even though Mm. you might have some drawbacks or things about it that you're not an expert with the fact that we are so collaborative in our department and Mm -hmm. marcus and i work so well together and that's really really been a blessing because we can bounce ideas off off of each other and off of the kids. I mean, we really pull in their ideas about a lot of stuff. And that makes mm-hmm. them feel ownership yeah. for what's happening in our department. So they want to do well because they want to reflect on us well. And we want to make them look as good as we can. And so there's a whole intertwining of people's desires for the program and how they want to be successful within it. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like they come out of that and feel like, oh, I did this, this, and this. I student-directed a play. Mm -hmm. I was in Mm -hmm. a student-directed play. I stage-managed. I was in a show. I was in a musical. I learned about lights. I was a technical director. Mm -hmm. I wrote a play. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like that connects right back to what you said, you know, motivated you to first uh, try and direct that musical, which was like you had a passion for it. 
you saw a gap that you wanted to fill, and now you've created a program for kids so that they never feel like they don't have that opportunity. If they have a passion, they can follow it, no matter whether it be you know technical theater or performance or dramaturgy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm really glad to have Marcus on board because I feel like technical things are not really my forte in terms of knowing exactly how all the technology works and stuff. I mean, I'm an old lady, so. Um, but You're I definitely know 35. how I want things to look, or the sense of mood, or things like that, and what we can use to make that happen. But he's so meticulous about crafting his tech lessons, and the kids are really into it, and they're really. They probably don't think of themselves as designers, but they that's really exactly what they're learning how to do. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool to watch them say, oh, this, and then and then come back to the drawing board and be like, yeah, that's not going to work here. What are we going to do? We, we don't have the money for that. We can't fly things down from the fly system we don't have. And mm-hmm. how do we bridge the gap for what our vision is to what we can actually make happen? And that's a great lesson, too. That's yeah. life every day. Yeah. 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 You know, hardship begets creativity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Marcus, you know, have you, what's your teaching journey been like? Just, you know, if you have any thoughts real briefly. I mean, when I first started teaching, um, I mean, I just knew that I wanted to. I I mean, I'd never, I never really thought I was ever going to be a drama teacher. Um, I (laughs) thought I was going to be a history teacher and just do, Mm -hmm. you know, act on the side. Um, And then uh, I was told, I won't. I'm not gonna put people on blast on episode one. <laughs> Maybe I'll be a not so famous like the midnight, the midnight show. I'll, I'll, what's I'll what's the not so famous tea? <laughs> this will be on our anniversary episode, right? They're like, what? What was that? What are you talking about? Remember um, that time Marcus tried to put somebody on blast? Not so famous afternoon tea edition. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, I, I was told that I was never going to be a good teacher, that I did not care about the kids, that all I cared about was theater, and that I would never... If, if given the option, I would always choose theater over the kids. And hmm. my mom always loves to point out, she's like, I want you to send that woman an email and send her a picture of you being at Forge and being with that department and tell her, oh, I guess I could have both. Um, and, I mean, just... Being able, being able to teach, and also you know just having your mom next to me and just having you know mm-hmm. just that just that experience of and I didn't know and I didn't know like the origins of Deb Hansen you know the you know, theater teacher, um, <laughs> but now it like it makes sense and then it it became it was nice coming in there and just having someone who who you know does understand. You know, like, okay, you're a new teacher. You don't really know, like, how to communicate all those things to these kids. Um, Because, you know, like, I had done plays too, but I never thought about how do you do this? How do you teach a kid with no acting experience whatsoever how to act? How do you teach kids um, with no design experience how to think up what's a cool way of portraying this story? Um, mm. and it's kind of, and it's nice because, you know, I watch what your mom's created with, you know, the one at play festival and, 
and the Shakespeare shows and just feeling like, especially especially in recent years, I feel, just feeling like, okay, all right, I got a handle on it. Now I'm going to kind of be like Deb a little bit and I'm going to push the envelope too. Let's now have, I said, kids, you're in charge of designing the set. Here's the play. Let's read it. Let's brainstorm it. I'm, I will tell you what we're capable of, but this is on you. You know, and, and like I said, take, take that ownership of this is your set that's on stage. People, ha- people have to look at your stuff. So if it looks bad, I'm like, that's on you. And if it looks great, that's on you. Mm-hmm. You know, and they and it and it's so it's so wonderful. Like even even when you know the set piece, like you can see it. Like <laughs> oh, they could have they could have painted that a little bit better. Just the look on their faces though when they're done. And they look mm-hmm. at them, like today they were working on lights and they were like, oh, this looks so good. Like, I can't wait for for the show to open up in November and for people to see this and be so excited. And it's like, and it, and it encourages me because it's like, oh, thank God I didn't mess up these kids' theatrical <laughs> lives. And then it's like, <laughs> all right, now let's push the envelope more. And it's like, and like, I wondered, you know, the first couple of years, like, why, how is this woman like, create all this stuff and it's like you, sure. you want to you you just like you see the look in their faces you see how excited they are you see how proud they are and you're just like you know what I guess it wasn't so bad I guess I can do one more thing you know like we keep talking about the, uh. the one minute <laughs> 24 hour play festival and it's like and we're just like dragging our feet because we know it's going to happen eventually but yeah, when I come in and I'm all fresh and excited and I'm like, you know what? Let's talk about that 24-hour play festival again. And you know then I'm like, you I know really what? I want to sleep in the I'm auditorium. <laughs> we'll go home. <laughs> have a glass of wine. Right? Think about my life choices. <laughs> but it, it seems to me that, you know, Marcus, that stems from the same place. You, you know, you teaching them and saying, hey, this is going to be your set. That comes from the same place that you en- uh, mentioned earlier, Mom, when you said, you know, about risk, mm. right? Like, I didn't know if I was going to have to uh, be able, or if I was going to be able to make up this money, and so I had to commit and double down. No risk, no reward. And I think it's just incredible that you both have, you know, created such a uh, an accepting and welcoming yet challenging mm-hmm. program uh, that, you know, teaches kids what you had to learn uh, a little bit the hard way mm-hmm. with still like giving them still a safety net saying you know if you fall back or if you're unsure I'll be here I'll be able to answer that question but also I prefer you just run wild with your idea and, and let's let's go all the way and then if, if we need to I'll pull you back mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I'm really proud of that and I feel like that's the place where if anything I've now realized that I am an artist in that I'm constantly looking for new ways to challenge myself. Yeah, yeah. And mm. that leads to things that they're going to do that are going to challenge mm-hmm. themselves. So it's like, okay, I've heard about devising now. That wasn't a thing when I was going to school. You know, it wasn't a thing at all. Or maybe it was, but nobody really talked about, talked it. about it. Right. It was like in the fringe, 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 fringe shows that no one went to in somebody's basement. No offense to any kind. Um, you did an awesome thing. But I think having 
that ability to jump in and take that risk, whether as a performer, as an educator, as a learner, that I want to go in and like, ooh, I want to find out more about this and then challenge my kids. Like, hey, here's devising. It scares me. I don't really know exactly what it is. Yeah. You don't but know. Let- but let's play around with it and let's see what happens. Right. And then by the end of that, I mean, trust me, Marcus knows there were days where I was like, these kids, they are never going to do this. They're just dragging their feet. They're scared. Mm-hmm. They just want to be in a show that I can direct them in where they know they can look good and they know they can all do it. And I was finally like, guys, when are you going to be braver? Here you are mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. like nice safe haven where you can explore doing something that you don't know what to do and I'll be here to make sure you don't look like an idiot and you'll be Mm -hmm. here to make sure I don't look like like an idiot (laughs) and we're going to make this new thing Mm -hmm. and it was so rewarding like so rewarding yeah yeah it it took a lot of work Mm -hmm. and I realized of course as I was doing it for the first time oh I should have spent more time learning about this before I did it. Oh, I need to schedule this better, you know, so that I have more time for this Mm -hmm. or that. But those are things you learn as you go along, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But if you don't take the opportunity to do it for the first time, then you're never going to learn those things. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to just sit and do your spring musical and your fall Neil Simon play. And you're never going to do anything cool. I'd say the same thing for, you know, an artist in the same way, like as a performer, you you know, you might, that stuff might be more comfortable. You might be like, oh, I know that play, but what about the play that you don't know anything about? Mm -hmm. Or that your friend says, hey, I just wrote this play. I want you to be in it. That's some of the scariest stuff. Let me tell you, you being like, let me read this first draft of this play. Like, I hope I like it because they're my friend, but we'll see. Yeah. That that can also be some of the most rewarding work that you can do. And so I think that, you know, that's really the answer we've come to. Are teaching artists artists? Absolutely. Absolutely they're artists. Look at you two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well, well, you get to, I know. <laughs> well, you get to be part of creating something from the ground up. Yeah. And that means you're an artist. I mean, how, how exactly you look at that and how you define artist, I'm sure there's a lot of different ways, but... Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, for me, we do so many things. We dabble in so many arenas. And from my own personal experience, we are so collaborative that to me, that's a big part of what what artists do. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I just Googled it. And Google says an artist is a person engaged in an activity related to creating art, practicing the arts, or demonstrating an art. So we do all say three that. things. So boom. So you're triple artist. Uh, we're triple threats. Do you know what that th- is, Marcus? What's a triple threat? <laughs> <laughs> well, m- you know, musicals aren't real theater, so... Right. Yes. That's Obviously. a throwback to when a student asked me if I knew what a triple threat was. What a triple was threat was. After they had learned it from me. What You've it was. got to be kidding me. No. Yeah. That's true. It's a true story. <laughs> These are true facts about being a uh-huh. teaching artist. <laughs> There are good there are good days, there are bad days, but you know what? It's it's a good time. And I feel like if you can if you can be paired up with another great teacher and 
you know, and you two can just go back and forth, back and forth in a good way, not in a negative way, <laughs> but in a good way. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's something that you, you know, you really, really have to cherish, and it's probably the reason why, you know, whatever we're still happens. Doing this thing. Yeah, we're still, are we still doing this? Are we still this doing thing? this? <laughs> are we still doing this? <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah. Well. Mom, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, I think this was a, a great conversation. I'm so glad that we uh, we got to have this with you, and and thank you so much. Thank yes. you so much for having me. It was really fun. Yeah, I would love yeah. to come back and chat again. Of course, we'll shameless see you. plug for your mother. I was about to say, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You just invite we will, yourself we back on the yeah. show. That's how you have to do it. You have to create your own work. Opportunities. <laughs> there she goes again, ladies and gents. Yeah, yeah. See, I think there, I think I'm going to have a fan base in this podcast. Mitchell, you have to let I me think, know if you get any fan mail for me. I think absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Gonna forward, you're gonna, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're going to get more fan mail than me. Obviously. Well, I talked more. I hijacked this episode. God bless. Hey, we were we were happy to have you hijack, and you're you're welcome back anytime. Absolutely, love you guys. Oh, well, we love you Aww. too. Aww. I, I love you too, Ma. Well, I think that's all the time we have here today on Not So Famous. So uh, I just want to close out with a few big thank yous to the people who made this possible. Um, thank you so much to my co-host and producer uh, at Shenanigans Incorporated, Mr. Marcus Sally. Hey, thank you so much, you, brother. Uh, thank you to my mother for bearing with us and for being our very <laughs> first special guest here in the Everyday Artist Absolutely. Studio. It was such a mm-hmm. blast to have her. She was so oh, great. Yeah. I mean, she just uh, blows me away. <laughs> um, and thank you to all the family and friends who believed in me and in us and supported us on this journey to getting this thing up and running. It has not been easy. It has taken time. But here we are. Yeah. We're doing it. Yeah. It's exciting. And this is this is the first step. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I'm also sure that you have all seen our incredible Not So Famous logo uh, design. That was designed by an incredible illustrator and graphic design artist who I get to call a friend. I know. I'm so lucky. Um, her name is Courtney Mathis. She's fresh out of college. She is ready to work. You can find her at CourtneyMathis.com. And if you want to see her portfolio just for fun or if you're in need of a graphic designer and you're thinking of hiring someone, please hire her. She is quick. She's reliable. No job is too big or too small. Um, and finally, thank you all for joining us here on Not So Famous. And we hope you come back in uh, two weeks from now to hear our, our maybe a little bit spooky Halloween edition of the show. Indeed, indeed. That's going to be a... I'm excited. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm already excited. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited. But that's the that's the not so famous brand. It's a it's a grab. What did you say earlier? A grab it's a bag. Grab bag. Of you don't know what you're gonna get, but you're gonna enjoy it anyway. Put exactly, and shirt. it'll be a grab. It'll be a grab Halloween candy bag Ooh. this time. <laughs> Can we have candy like on the show, like while we're because no kids are gonna show up oh. at my apartment, so I'm just gonna have candy right there. <laughs> Absolutely, I think that I think our listeners too will really love listening to us like chewing Twix while we talk. Mm-hmm. Marcus, why are you in there? <laughs> Did you have anything that you wanted to say? Uh, hey, so guys, I just want to say uh, first off, thank you, Mitchell, for having me on the show. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome co-hosting 
my second podcast. I, I can't even believe it. Uh, my <laughs> second podcast. Um, you can always catch me on Popcorn Prattle, uh, which is a film talk podcast. We talk about movies, not in a pretentious way, but as if you're watching a movie and you want to talk about it with your best good buddies. Um, you can catch me. It's so good. You guys are so oh, great. Thanks, man. Um, you can find us there. You can find me on Twitter at Mark, M-A-R-C underscore Leroy, L-A-R-O-Y. Um, and guys, listen, as the executive producer of Shenanigans Incorporated, I would be remiss if I did not say this. If you really enjoyed Not So Famous, do us a favor. Leave a review. Go subscribe. Go on iTunes. Mm. Go make sure that you subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Give us one star, two star, three star, four stars. Doesn't matter to us because guess what? Any feedback is some feedback that can let us know how do we make you a better show. So if you like it, share it. Make sure everybody else shares it. Make sure everybody knows that Not So Famous is the show to listen to. Perhaps on your drive to and from work. If you're in 95, uh, you can listen to uh, two episodes, probably. Or, fi- or five. You, because who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, you, <laughs> you can listen to this first huge jam-packed episode and you still won't be where you're going. <laughs> I gotta get the hell out of here, Mitchell. <laughs> oh my god. And I just want to say real quick, you can also find me on Facebook as Mitchell Hansen and on Twitter at the original MDH. For all of your um, funny comedy needs, I tweet the stupidest shit, and I'm sure you'll want to hear it. <laughs> it's okay. Some someone else tweets stupid shit, and people just eat it up. So, oh my god, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get in trouble with this show. <laughs> He's gonna tweet at you, but hey, I'll take it. Hey, hey, that's a, that's a free plug. That is, that is a huge free plug. Like, <laughs> I can't. I can't.